We are in week two of a series called Sound On, Unmuting the Voice of God. And it's interesting because there's nothing we can really do to mute God's voice. In other words, God is always talking to us. But what we're really referring to is how do we position ourselves to hear God's voice? What do we do with God's voice when, once we hear Him? And so it's not that we can mute Him to start with, but we sure can get into a position in life where we can't hear what He's saying. Does anyone agree with that? There are lots of voices circulating in our lives, lots of things that are vying for our attention. There are lots of things that speak to us on a daily, weekly, monthly, and, and even yearly basis. And the question is, is which voices do we listen to? And the answer that I propose to you today is, it's the voices that we position ourselves to hear. There are lots of voices speaking to us. The ones that we listen to are the ones that we are positioned to be able to hear. Years ago, I called a friend of mine on a Friday night, and as soon as he answered the phone, I just heard this I don't know how to describe it other than just noise so loud on the other end, it was distorting coming through the phone. And I immediately remembered when I heard the noise, I remembered, oh, yeah, he's at a concert. He told me he was going to a concert. So you can imagine 110 decibels piercing through the air, subwoofers that rattle your chest, right? I mean, I think we run the, the volume in here. I don't think we run it over 90 decibels, if I'm not mistaken. So you think 110 decibels at concert volume you pick up the phone. It was funny because the first thing he said was, he didn't say hello. He said, there's no way I'm going to be able to hear you right now. Like, that was just the first thing that he said to me. And I thought, well, do I say anything? Because <laughs> he's not going to be able to, do I just hang up on him? Like, what do I do? And the reason is because the concert volume was so loud coming over the other end, it drowned it out, my voice coming through the phone. Another time, I called a friend, and it was kind of the same scenario, except he was at a loud get-together. It was not as loud as the concert volume, but it was loud enough that he couldn't hear anything that I was saying. And the first thing that he said to me was this, hold on, let me go to another room so that I can, I can hear your voice. In other words, let me position myself so that I can hear you. Come on with me, somebody. Let me move to a different place, rearrange what I'm doing so that I can hear your voice. The first friend, he was at the concert. The concert was the priority. And just from friend to friend, I didn't blame him for that. But because that was his priority, that's what he heard. The second friend, he prioritized me. And so he heard my voice, and we had a conversation. And that's the way it is with God. Your priorities will determine your position to be able to hear God speak. What do you do in life when you want to hear God speak? Are you prioritizing Him? Are you at a place where you are actively moving things out of the way in your life so that you can get to a position to be able to hear God's voice in your life? There was a, a prophet in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. I don't know why his mother named him that, but she did. Uh, I'm sure it has lots of meaning. But Habakkuk was in a, a season of life where he really needed to hear from God. He didn't understand why the, the nation of Israel, there was so much sin in it, and God seemingly did nothing. It was like, you're, you're, you're the God of our nation. Why aren't you doing anything when all of these people are turning their backs on you? And then what really threw him for a loop was there was another nation that was preparing to invade Israel. And they were more wicked than Israel was. And God seemingly was doing nothing. He needed to hear from God. But it was like God wasn't doing anything. Have you ever been in that position where you needed to hear from God and God just seemingly said nothing? 
in chapter 1, verse 2, this is was his prayer. Lord, I continue to ask for help. How long will you ignore me? I cry out to you, but you do not save us. Does that sound like a prayer that you've ever prayed? God, I need you right now. I, I need a financial breakthrough right now. And it seems like you are nowhere to be found. Nothing's happening. Lord, I need my marriage restored, but it doesn't seem like you're saying anything. Lord, I, I need help with my kids. They seem to be going the wayward way, Father, but it doesn't look like you're doing anything. Maybe you have questions that you need answered. Lord, should I marry this person? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Let's get God, the universe, in on the, on the scenario here. Lord, should I invest in this? Some of you are at the place where you're asking, is now the time to retire? Or, hey, should I change jobs or should I stick it out where I am right now? You don't hear God's voice, and so sometimes our prayer ends up being like Habakkuk's prayer. God, why are you ignoring me? Why are you ignoring me? You, you want to know the difference? Here's the thing. See, God already knows what you're supposed to do. He already has the answer. In fact, the Bible says that those who are in right standing with him, your steps are ordered. Like, he literally knows each thing that you need to do. But yet, it's not a matter of God talking. It's a matter of us positioning ourselves to be able to hear him. Let me spoil the story for you. Habakkuk heard from God. God spoke. He heard. But look at He took specific steps to be able to hear. He positioned himself to be able to hear. And I, I just want to get real practical today. And I want to take a look at those steps that he took to prioritize the Lord and position himself to be able to hear. Would that be something that you're interested in today? I feel like I'm talking to a group of people and maybe some watching online who say, you know what, I need to know how to hear God's voice. I need to know how to position myself to hear God's voice. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. This is what Habakkuk did, and this is the first step I'm going to tell you. The first step is to withdraw. To withdraw. Get alone in a quiet place. That's the first thing Habakkuk did. After he asks God some, some detailed questions in chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, first thing he said is, I'm going to climb the watchtower. Now, Pastor, what in the world does climbing a watchtower have anything to do with, well, you need to go to Lowe's and get some materials and buy you a watchtower. I don't know if they sell that at Lowe's or not. Of course, you know I'm joking. A watchtower, back in this day, it was a place that had a complete view of the horizon so that you could, you could go up there and you could see if another army was positioning to attack. It was a place where you got quiet. It was a place where you observed. It was a place where you honed in your senses. You got rid of all the other distractions, and you were there to hear. You were there to see. You were there to hone in. And so when he says, I'm going to climb a watchtower, what he was saying was, is I'm going to go get off to a quiet place, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hear the Lord. Distraction-free. Would you agree that today it can be very difficult to be distraction-free? All the parents in the house with small kids, just say amen to that. Grandparents or uncles and aunts who have kids in the house, amen to that. It's hard. It's hard to be distraction-free. There was a story I read recently, uh, a true story. It kind of made me laugh. There was a woman back in the 1600s named Susanna Wesley. Uh, for those of you who don't know her, maybe you've heard of these names, Charles Wesley and John Wesley. Uh, one was a prolific hymn writer. The other one founded the Methodist Church. Uh, this was their mama, <laughs> and they were two of 18 kids. She had 18 kids. Come on, somebody. That's right, because only Jesus could have helped her. <laughs> 18 kids, and none of them were adopted as far as I know. Like, she literally had all 18 of them. And they didn't do C-sections back then. 
All right, enough of that. <laughs> she was known to be this praying woman. And with 18 kids, you wonder how in the world she got distraction-free. This is true. This is the part that made me laugh. Every afternoon, she would get to a place in a rocking chair, and she would take her apron, right, and she would pull it up over her head. And she created a bubble around her. And the kids knew that when they saw Mama with the apron over her head, don't bother Mama, Mama was praying. And with 18 children running around the house, she still found an opportunity to get away, to climb her watchtower, to get alone with God. I don't know if anybody wears an apron anymore, uh, but what I'm saying is this. Where there is a will, what you value, you will pursue. Well, somehow we find ways to do the things that are important to us. And, and I'm asking you, is getting away with God important to you? And maybe you would say, well, Pastor Ryan, God surely understands. I live a, a very active life in this season of life right now. Surely he understands that I can't do that. And, and I'm sure he understands where you're coming from. But let me, let me pose this question to you. Do you think Jesus led an active life? I mean, this is a guy that turned the whole known world at the time upside down in three years. I would say he led a very active life. Yet Luke 5.16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus, probably one of the most active people at the time, going everywhere, preaching the word, talking, and, and, and radically changing the world. And yet he still found time to climb the watchtower, so to speak, and get alone with God. He prioritized it. And because of that, his position was where he could hear from God. And what I want to say is, busy as your life is, you can do the same thing. Maybe you need to shut off your phone. Maybe you need to shut off the TV. Maybe you need to rework some things. But you can climb your watchtower and you can get alone with God. But that's just the beginning. That's, if I could just say this, that's the easy part. What do you do when you get to the watchtower? What do you do when you get to that lonely place with God? Number two, wait. Calm your thoughts and your emotions. Habakkuk said, I'm going to climb the watchtower. In the next part of that verse, he said, I will station myself. Well, what does that mean? I will station myself. He's saying, I'm going to go up there and I'm not moving. The Hebrew word actually means to remain, to stand fast. And he was saying, I'm going to go up there and I'm not coming down. I'm going to stay put. And that's so hard for us, isn't it? Is there anybody like me who has ADD where you like see something going? And my mom used to tell me, she, she used to try to pray in the living room. And before the prayer session was done, she had redecorated the whole living room. <laughs> I mean, she just got try to get prayed with God, but then her mind starts going in all these different places. And that's, that's kind of like us. We're so fast-paced, we get down and we say, okay, God, I need to hear from you, and you got five minutes. Here we go. Right? I mean, we will wait longer at East Coast Wings for some chicken wings to come out and sit quiet and wait patiently, but we can't station ourselves to hear from God. Does anybody else see a problem with that? Like, how, what are we prioritizing? Habakkuk said, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to station myself. I'm going to wait. Did you know that hurry is the death of prayer? But when we station ourselves and we wait, we're telling God, hey, I'm not in a rush, Lord. And I value you enough that I want to hear from you. I've gotten here, and now I'm committing to station myself. Our mind is such a big part of that. And that's why Paul told the church in Colossians 3, he said, Let the peace, say peace, that Christ gives control your thinking. Peace come into your thinking. Do we need that? 
I don't know if anybody is like me, but you get off to a quiet place to pray, and all of a sudden your mind starts filling with things that you need to do. Or you, you settle down to pray, and this is a reality for some people, and I want to speak to this. You, you sit down to pray, and the feelings of unworthiness begin to come over you, or guilt, or something that you still struggle with. And so feelings of being unworthy and, and feelings of failure begin to come over you, and you stop praying. Those things just take the fun right out of prayer, doesn't it? I mean, what? think about it. What do you do when you are with a person in real life, and every time you come to that person, all they do is point out your faults? You avoid them. Like, Why would you be around that type of person? You wouldn't. And so if we take that into prayer, and every time we sit down to pray, we just begin to feel guilty, well, then it's very much a human nature thing to just not pray. And so we end up away from God, never hearing God's voice. But you need to understand that that's not God. In fact, the Bible says that those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. If if you feel feelings of unworthiness, that's not God speaking to you. I'm telling you right now, that is is a very real enemy that's trying to keep you off your knees in prayer. And he will put all those thoughts in your head, and you have the choice whether to entertain those thoughts and act on them or do what the Word says and take every thought captive. What that means is you, you get to decide what stays in your head. You can't decide every single thing that pops in your head. It's like somebody said one time, I, I can't stop all the birds from flying over my head, but I can sure stop the ones I want from building a nest in there. You, can, you can't stop every thought, but you can take that thought and filter it through the Word of God and say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I'm on my way. I'm not perfect, but I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, the one that I take communion for and remember what he did for me on the cross. I'm, I'm, I remember Hebrews that says I'm worthy to come into the throne room of God in and through Jesus Christ. But we've got to station ourselves. And when those thoughts come into our head, we got to get not just to a quiet place, but we got to quiet our thoughts and get to a quiet frame of mind. How do we do that? Well, we don't do it through earthy, new agey, boom. If you're thinking that, please don't think that. That's just weird. And if you like to do that, I don't know. <laughs> but, but if you really want to quiet your heart and quiet your mind, the way God wants you to, then you need to meditate on his word. I love Psalms 1 that says that when you meditate on God's word and delight in it, you're like a tree that's planted by streams of living water. It's like you've got roots. It's like you're, you're not just there floating in the wind, but you're planted. And the Bible says you, you will yield fruit in season. Take that into your prayer life and, and plant there. Two ways to, to be peaceful is that I've found uh, and to get to a quiet frame of mind. First one is just relax. And I do that by this, looking at Psalm 4610, when the Lord tells us, be still and know that I'm God. Lord, I'm here in prayer right now, and I've got lots of things coming through my head, but Lord, I, I know I can't fix them by myself. If I could have, I would have done it already. I choose to rest in you. I'm going to throw that in your lap, and I'm going to be still, and I'm going to know that you're sovereign over that thing. I don't know how you're going to do it, But I'm going to get to a place where I trust you enough to put that in your hands. I'm going to be still, and I'm going to know. Say no. That that means it's it's a knowing. It's a fact. It's not something that I'm still wondering about. But I've resolved that issue. I I know that he is God. And that enables you to be still. Did, Did you know that your emotional state affects your physical state and vice versa sometimes? It's all interconnected. And if you can get to a place in your spirit that trusts God enough to be still and know that he is God and put that in his lap and rest in him, 
you'll be at your peak emotionally. You will. I think half the reason why we walk around depressed and half the reason why we walk around with anxiety and, and worry and all is because we haven't, we haven't honed in on this verse. We haven't become still and, and trust enough to say, I know you're God. We're still saying, I'm going to be still, but there's a percentage of me that I still want to control this. But what if we were to be still and know that he is God, not just in part of my problem, but in the whole thing. And he is ultimately, as Roman says, he is working all this out for my good. And as my grandma used to say, when I come out, I'm going to be smelling like roses. Relax. Calm your thoughts. Be still and know that he is God. Well, another thing that helps me, maybe it helps you, is worship music. There is something about music. By the way, God made music. Did you know that? He's the author of it, all of it. It has a way of stirring your soul to where you can get into a position and pray more earnestly. I was uh, taking my children to school the other day, and I always pray before we back out of the driveway. And for whatever reason, I started to play mute my little girl. She always, Daddy, play a song, play a song. Like, it's every morning we're going to listen to music. And she said, play a song. And I just hit play on one. And before I started praying, it was a worship song. And, man, that, that piano hit, that, that downbeat hit. And all of a sudden, there was something in me, buddy. That, that prayer was a little more powerful coming from me that morning. There is something about music that will stir you. Elisha, this isn't just my opinion. Elisha was a man in the Old Testament, was a prophet. And he was in a position that he needed to hear from God, a difficult situation. And I think it's interesting that he didn't say, you know, I need to get to the altar. Or, hey, I need, to, I need to get to some place where I can hear God more plainly. In 2 Kings 3.15, the first thing he said is, bring me a harpist. Bring me a musician. Bring me some music because I know that it's going to stir me in such a way that it's going to aim my heart at God and I'm going to be able to pray more fervently. There is something about, mu- and it's something about music that, that stirs you. It's God made it for you. It's, it's, it's this whole thing that goes on in your brain differently when music is playing. And it goes on to say that while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Why, why do you think we worship God with music during our church services? I mean, we could do it all kinds of different ways, but music stirs the soul. And I'm so grateful for Pastor Gage and the talent and the skill that he brings to the table with, with what we do here on Sunday mornings and his team. There's so many of them that, that could take credit. But that's one of the reasons why we do what we do, because music stirs the soul. And so that's one of the ways that you can relax. You can get in God's presence and calm your thoughts. He said, withdraw, and he said, station yourself, wait. Step three, watch. Once you get to that place, once you commit yourself to calming your thoughts and staying, watch. Get God's perspective. The last part of verse one, Habakkuk says, I'm going to climb the watchtower. And then the last part says, I'm going to look to see what he will say to me. I'm going to get still, station myself, and I'm going to look to see what he will say. I think it's interesting that he didn't say, I'm going to listen to hear. But he said, I will look to see. The Hebrew word there means to gaze, to perceive, to take in, to put all my attention on. Habakkuk looked, not listened to what God was going to say. Have you ever thought that that might be how God wants to speak to you? 
Half of you are like, what are you talking about? Well, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. You ever heard that? That I can talk to you all day long, but there are times where I'll show you a picture and something click and it stay with you. That's why we do object lessons sometimes up here where I'll have a prop of some sort. And, and that's probably the most of how you remember most of the time something that I said. I have people come up to me sometimes years later and say, hey, I remember that sermon when you had that thing on stage. It's because when they can get a visual of something, it, it just clicks. And all throughout the scriptures, we, we see where God spoke this way into people. Abraham, Jacob, Job, uh, David, Isaiah, lots of the other prophets. And then we get into the New Testament, and we see Peter, and, and we see Paul, and, and John. All these guys had visions from God. God could have just spoken words, but he gave them visions. He, he let them see something. And we see all through the Scripture and today that God will often show us what he'll do rather than spell it out in words. I have a, a good friend of mine who recently was telling me about a dream they had. This is a reputable man of God. I would trust this person in their relationship with the Lord. And God was showing him the urgency of all the people around us in life that we have relationships with or connected to or, or maybe just see on a day-to-day basis who are lost. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They haven't given him their lives. And the urgency, not just meaning, oh, it would be a good thing if they came to church, but the urgency of, hey, heaven and hell is in the balance here. And we don't know when our last day on earth is going to be. And there are people all around us that, that hell could be a reality if, if we don't go and reach them. Could God just do it miraculously? Sure. But we see all throughout the scriptures and today that God uses his children to reach people. He uses us. And he was showing him that, that reality, the urgency. And in this dream, he, and he knew that in principle. He'd read the Bible through several times. He loves the Lord. But in this dream, he, he had this dream. He was standing on the shore. And off into the distance, maybe a hundred yards or so, was a man who was drowning. And he knew there was nobody else around. I've got to go save this guy. And it was his urgency. It was life or death is in the balance here. And he began to try to get out there, and, and fear came over him in the dream. And I don't know if he was scared of the water or if he was scared of, of what might happen. I don't know if he was scared of sharks or what. But fear came over him in such a way that he chickened out and backed up and didn't do it. And he was he was shaking, just trying to figure out a way to do it, but he just couldn't come to do it. And as soon as he made that decision in his heart, he wasn't going, he became aware of a pier. And somebody was on the pier, a man, and saw the other guy and jumped off and went and saved him. And he said, I was so grateful that somebody saved him. He said, but it just, it broke me in half knowing that I missed out on what God told me to do. That I missed out on hearing God's voice and knowing that God was asking me to do something and I, I chickened out. I didn't do it. And this dream just became so, so vivid to him. In principle, he knew that, that people need to get saved. He knew that his job as a Christian was to go out and, and talk to people. He, he knew the urgency of that. But boy, when he saw the image of it, oh, it did something to him. It planted something in his mind and in his heart that will never go away. Could it be that you're looking for a word from God when God's trying to show you an image? Could it be that you've had dreams that are Holy Spirit-inspired that you've shoved off because it's just a dream? We see that God speaks like this all the time. And that's why Paul told us in Ephesians 1.8, he said, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart, isn't that interesting the way he words that? The eyes of your heart will be enlightened 
so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I'm not talking about weird new age visions and stuff like that, but what I am saying is that just like when you get, when you're born physically, God gives you some senses, doesn't he? You can see, you can smell, you can touch, you can, and when you're born spiritually, the, the kind that Jesus makes possible, you ever heard Christians say born again? He's talking about a spiritual renewal, a spiritual rebirth. He gives you spiritual senses to be able to see him, to be able to communicate with him, to be able to know him. What if you develop an awareness of that? How could God begin to speak into your life? Habakkuk didn't say, I'm going to listen to here. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in that watchtower. I'm going to station myself, and I'm going to look to see. What if God could speak to you that way? What if you could perceive it? The fourth thing that he did, and the fourth thing I'll tell you, is to write. Write down the ideas that you receive. Verse 2, Habakkuk said, the Lord answered me. This is in chapter 2. And here's what the Lord said. Write down what I show you and make it clear on tablets. I don't know if you can get tablets at Lowe's with the watchtower you're going to get. But he said, write it down. I, I think some of us, we just, man, I don't, I don't want to write anything. <laughs> like, I don't want, we, we, any of you in the room, like that guy or gal in the back of the room that just hated taking notes in school? I remember when I was in college, I had someone take notes for me. Like, I just didn't want to do it. It was almost worth paying someone to take notes so, in world history so I could just sit there. Like, I, I hated writing. But what I began to understand over the years is that when I write out, and some people call it journaling, what God is saying and what I might be praying for that season, I've learned that there's power in that, that there's something in that. And I, I look at Habakkuk, I look at what he did in chapter 1. He asks God some specific questions. And then in chapter 2, he withdraws, he waits, he watches God. And then he records what God says. He writes it down. Have you ever thought, you know, God doesn't hear my prayers or I don't want to write down anything. I don't want to write my prayers. Even if he did talk to me, I'd rather come from the pastor, from the stage, and I'll try to just remember it. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we probably say, and this might hurt just a little bit, but we probably say our prayer life's in a rut too, if that's how we think. Most of us that are think in that train of thought, that look at it that way, would probably say our prayer life is in a rut. It's boring, so why do it? Or I'm starting to think I'm just going through the motions, so why do it? Is it really making a difference? Well, what if we did what Habakkuk did? What if we actually begin to write down our prayers? Write down the questions that we have for God. Write down the needs that we have, and then record what God might say to us. There's so many benefits to writing down our prayers and writing down what God might say. One thing, just very plainly, it helps you keep track. There are times that we, we don't remember what we're supposed to pray for. We don't remember what's going on. But what if we wrote down our prayers? Man, we could keep track of everything that we're asking God to do, and then we could re actually record when God answers them. And we wouldn't have to try to remember everything that we're praying for, remember what things are happening in our lives that we're most interested in God speaking into because they're right there. We don't have to relearn what God did because they're right. It's just a matter of reviewing it. And we, it's like new praises begin to come up to God, and, and you get to a season of life where it's difficult and it's hard, and the human temptation comes in to say, you know what, God's not even hearing you. But then you go back and you look, oh, man, look at what God did. 
I remember whenever he did this for me. And look, I wrote it out, and, and, and he answered me. He answered me. I know he can answer me again, and it's a whole new level of faith. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've gone back in journals, and I've been reading maybe a year later, and what I was reading from a year ago spoke to what I was going through right then. And when I wrote it, it was, it was God in his word, but I didn't realize how much it would speak to me a year later. And I was reading it as if somebody else was writing it. And God can do the same thing in you when it comes to your prayers, when it comes to what God wants to speak into your heart, if you would write it out. Next week, we're going to talk about the seven filters that we need to push those things through to make sure that it is God. But whenever we write it out, you know, it, it, pr- it provides a record, and we can, we can test it. We can say, well, is this, is this what God said? And I can go through the seven filters we're going to talk about next week, and I can say, yeah, that was, that was actually from God. Or sometimes I write stuff out, and I don't know if it's from God or not, but it was a thought, and I thought, well, maybe that is from God. But you're actually able to go back and, and look at a record of it and be able to test it. Otherwise, we end up just kind of floating in the wind, not remembering what we're asking God for, not remembering what God said. I'm speaking to myself as well as you because there have been seasons where I've been really diligent at that, and there's been seasons, quite frankly, where I haven't done it at all. But I'm going to tell you, what if we became a people that actually begin to record our prayers and record what God might be wanting to say? Write it out. That's what Habakkuk did. And he heard from God. The fifth thing I'll tell you to do that Habakkuk did is worship. Worship God. Chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, Oh, Lord, now I have heard your report. Anybody been on that end of the bargain? God, I've heard you. Look at what he says. And I worship you in all. Man, when you hear from God and you know it, it takes your worship to a whole other level, doesn't it? Man, I know I've heard from God. It just, you, your prayer gets answered. You're filled with gratitude. Man, when you hear from God Almighty, it puts you in a whole other position spiritually to be able to be grateful and to be able to love in a way that you've never known. And, and it's almost automatic. When you follow these four steps and you get to the end and God actually has answered you, man, you've been diligent. You haven't just haphazardly heard from God. You've put it in. You've put the blood, sweat, and tears in. And it's almost like the fruit of your labor in, in a way, not that we earn God, but that, you know, when you've been diligent to obey him, there's something that's just good about knowing that. You know what? He's true to his word, and he does answer me. And pray, worship becomes this automatic thing. But do you know what's also automatic? Is when we don't do any of that, we automatically don't worship. We, we don't. We, we wonder, we hope. As Christians, we kind of float by. But when we've sought God diligently, worship becomes automatic. What would happen if you changed your prayer life from a monologue, just you talking, all right, God, I love you, here's some things I need, amen, to a dialogue? And now there's this, you, you've positioned yourself and prioritized yourself in a way now where you're positioned to hear from God. Your position to not just speak to him and pour out your heart to him, but you've positioned yourself to hear. Have you ever heard that you have to prepare your field for rain? God will speak into your life when you've positioned yourself to be able to hear him and to hold precious what it is that he's getting ready to speak into your life. Oh, he will be true to his word. 
and there's this conversation, and man, does the dynamic change. That's when a relationship begins to develop. I've never seen any relationship on this planet that was birthed and that grew and became this wonderful thing because one party talked the whole time. Not one. In fact, I've seen marriages end because people won't open up and they clam up and you got one person doing all of everything and the other person is staying as far away and secluded as possible. Relationships can't flourish that way. And with, with God, it's the same way. He desires, he sent his son to shed his blood for you not so that you could do all the talking or you could stay away, but so there could be this intimate relationship that builds. Will you position yourself to hear? I need to say this, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. I need to be honest and say this up front, that sometimes we'll go through this process and maybe you don't hear God talk the way you want to. Maybe he doesn't answer the questions or the need the way you thought he was going to, but instead you sense that he's saying, trust me and stay the course and that's what he gives you and sometimes that's a very real answer that God will give and what I've come to realize is that God ultimately knows the best for you and God knows the timing in our realm of when the answer needs to happen and so sometimes the answer is I just need you to trust me but I want you to stay the course in Matthew chapter 9, there's, there's these two guys that are blind, and Jesus is getting ready to heal them. But they're blind, and they know that Jesus is around because they hear other people talking about him, and Jesus is there. And, and they begin to shout his name, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Heal me. And ultimately, Jesus ends up healing them. But they, they followed him. What people forget is that there was a little journey that they took where they were crying out his name, but Jesus didn't even turn around. Jesus said nothing. He was, he was silent. And I think that's how we are sometimes going through life when we, where we need desperately for God to say something, but we feel blind, like we don't know what the next step is. We, we don't know what to do. But, but somehow it was their faith. Jesus eventually said, hey, according to your faith, this has been done. You know what faith is? It's when I keep going and I still have questions. It's when I keep going, and I haven't heard from God yet, but I still believe in him, and I know that he is eventually going to speak to me, and so I'm going to keep pressing. It's faith in something that I don't see yet. And these men, they followed Jesus blind. I don't know how they did it. Maybe they were holding on to other people. Maybe they were just following the sound of his voice or following the crowd. But step by step. I love Psalm 119 that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. And even though I can't see everything going on in my life and where I'm eventually going to end up, Lord, your word tells me if I stay in it, I'm going to know my next step. And they eventually follow him right to the house where he was staying. And, and he heals them. It was this beautiful thing. And we, we revel in the miracle and we lift up the, the faith that they had to get there. But sometimes we forget that it was a, a journey in faith that they had to walk blind. And maybe you're in that season right now where you're, you feel blind. You need to hear from God, but you don't, you don't have that answer. God hasn't left you. He's still there with you. But he may be saying to you, keep walking. Have faith in me. Trust me. Stay in touch with me. But I will say this. If you will heed to his word and you will take these steps in your life, to position yourself to hear from him. 
you will hear from him. You're going to hear. And for some of you today, that, that sounds like a breath of fresh air. I can hear from God. I, I, I can do this. And you can. And for some of you, it's going to take the most faith that you've ever had. For some of you, it's going to take the most courage that you can muster. For some of you, you're going to have to rearrange things in your lives so that you can get quiet enough to hear. For others of you, you're going to have to really calm those anxieties and worries down that happen when you sit still for any length of time and you have to face yourself and you don't have the luxury of of getting your mind on other things so that you don't have to look yourself in the mirror. I'm talking to somebody. I know what it's like to be there. And so you fill your life with things and stuff and your mind races. For some of you, you're going to have to really get some help to be able to clear your mind so that you can station yourself when you get to that watchtower and wait on the Lord and get your spirit quieted so that you can hear his voice. There's some work to do. But the question comes right back around to the beginning. What do you prioritize? Your priorities will determine your position and your position will determine you hearing from the Lord. Can I pray with you? God, I know for a fact that you love to speak to your kids. You did it all throughout the scriptures and you speak to us today, primarily through your word. We're going to talk next week about how to filter everything that we think we hear from you through your word because your word always backs your voice up. But Lord, I'm, I'm speaking to a group of people in the room and online today that, that need to hear your voice. And my prayer today isn't that you'll speak because you are speaking. My prayer today is that we will discipline ourselves to position ourselves, to station ourselves, to watch, to worship you. Lord, to wait on you. This fast-paced world has trained us to go fast, and and if we have to wait longer than two or three minutes for something, man, we don't think it's worth it. But you're a God that delights in a walking speed. (laughs) You, You delight in that slow pace with us because that's where the relationship is formed and nurtured and developed. Help us to go walk in your pace. Give us the wisdom and the boldness, God, to reprioritize our lives so that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Can we say amen together?